Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. Now, this week's guest, I don't even know where to start. She competes in, and has competed in just about everything. If you go to her website, she's competed in M14 service rifle, NCAA air rifle and pistol, three gun, Bianchi Cup, NRA action pistol, USPSA, Ipsic rifle and shotgun, Palma rifle, and summer biathlon. She writes and blogs for numerous websites and magazines. Her entire family shoots or competes. Her son just won the inaugural Prairie Fire Rank competition. Join me in giving a warm round of applause. <laughs> Hi, Becky. Thanks hey, David. How are you? Good. You would just take a moment and introduce yourself. Anything else you want to add? or? Well, that was a nice introduction. I thank you. Um, so, yes, my whole family competes. My name is Becky Yackley. Um, I grew up, grew up shooting. I grew up competing, hunting. My dad was a gunsmith for Krieger Barrels for th over 35 years. And uh, the whole family's stayed involved in shooting. And my husband... Um, he has been the OIC of the Reserve Action Shooting Team and very involved with the Reserve Marine Corps Marksmanship and uh, Marine Corps Marksmanship Symposium, etc. So we we all shoot uh, and we love it. And I'd like to, you know, the writing and all that other stuff you mentioned, that all helps us be able to do what we do. So I don't know. That's us. Thank okay. you for having me. Having me on. Oh, thank you for being on. Um, this is going to be a, a fun conversation because there's a, <laughs> a lot of similarities, actually. Um, very interesting about your husband because I was curious, you know, about all that. And we'll get into that more later. But I also, as a side note, wanted to say that his political beliefs are spot on. Just so. <laughs> he, <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to pass that along. I will. I'll pass it along to him. It's it's always a difficult thing because I think people who work in the firearm industry, um, it's generally accepted. Everyone has pretty similar political beliefs with regards to our rights and our freedom. So um, it's something that I, th I think people generally just assume everyone kind of thinks the same way. But as you when you work as a sponsored shooter, then you have to be a little more delicate, I think, in how you talk about things. Um, yeah. But I, I don't think you should hide under, you know, you should hide your views. I think you should, you should speak out about things that are, that are happening because it affects you, your, your kids, your future, the country. So it is important to talk about it. Totally agree. Absolutely. And I'm, uh, I mean, I've been shooting if you, or I'll say this, I've been around competition shooting and shooting since the 70s. Because as we were discussing before we started, my dad was the head coach of the Marine Corps rifle team. So that's how I first got exposed to shooting uh, in the early to mid-70s. And I don't know where I was going with that. But <laughs> I just totally lost my train of thought. Oh, goodness. No, but, I, it's oh, the I know what I was going to say. But I'm also a healthcare provider. And I am not afraid to speak out about the nonsense that we just had for the Experience, last few years yeah and yeah. and i i'm not afraid to tell patients in their houses that it's nonsense i just do it in a polite way right 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 so if anybody out there is still wearing masks i'll leave it at that okay <laughs> all right <laughs> before i go any further um 
So, Becky, what I normally do is ask people five very personal, uh, detailed questions that stumps them every time. Okay. All right. Question number one, what's your favorite movie? Ooh, my favorite movie. Um, so, it would have to be uh, Last of the Mohicans, I think. Ooh, good yeah. movie. Yeah. Very good. Um, and yeah, I think it would be Last of the Mohicans. My grandpa actually, I have a book that was my grandpa's that was, you know, like the, the book the movie is based on, um, but a really, really old, like 1920-something edition. And I remember reading that as a kid. And yeah, that movie came out when I was in college, actually. But no, I think that's one of my all-time favorite movies. And Quigley Down Under, that's another good one. That is a good one. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely like that one. Now, since we've been... Again, going back to before we were on the air, the personal stuff we were talking about, my dad is actually was Cherokee and Riddle means farmer. Ah, interesting. Very interesting. Um, okay, moving along. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I wanted to ask uh, the follow-up question with that was, so which did you like better, the book or the movie? Um, I, I think the movie, <laughs> you know, it okay. was a very well done movie, very well done movie, lots of, lots of great quotes and imagery and all that. And, and I think if you went back and reread the book, you know, there's always little things you find when books versus movies, there's reasons to, to do both. Yeah. But visually the movie was stunning. You know, it was beautiful. Photography, the, the scenery, everything was great. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those movies that, even if it didn't necessarily follow the book exactly, it, it kind of made up for it. So. Yeah, when we we used to actually go um, when we were down at Camp Lejeune, we would go hiking out on the western part of North Carolina, out to Chimney Rock where they filmed. So the first time we ever went out there, because we wanted to film like where they had the big scene at the end of the movie and they're running up that trail. Um, it's a really a cool place. If you go to Chimney Rock State Park in North Carolina, uh, it's a great, great hike, but it's right on the edge and it is so scary. Um, it is obvious that for the movie, they took a lot of the safety rails and things out. So it's a, it's a really, really cool place to go visit. You know, I've been there and I didn't even know that that was where they filmed it. But yeah, like those upper trails where you walk in the, above the waterfall at the top. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Had no idea. Now I'm gonna have to go back. Yeah. Rewatch the movie and then go back. Okay. Yeah. How about your favorite book? Ooh. My favorite book? <laughs> I don't know. I'd well, probably we have... go back to things I've read as a child, like the Little House in the Prairie series and, you know, things that um, I think, I think my favorite stuff tends to be like less modern. <laughs> um just because it's it's just like simpler and and good, you know. Um, one of my one of my sons, who will remain nameless, has been watching some movies that are they're older, and it's a series, and it's kind of a thriller horror thing. And I'm just looking at it like, how can you? I don't I don't think it's good to consume these things. I think the stuff we put mm. in front of us, you know, that people don't really realize what they're consuming, and and does that affect you? So you know, it's like. I'm, I'm kind of like, well, you're an adult, um, but I'm still going to tell you, I do think that this stuff isn't necessarily. I'm still your mother. I'm still your mother. I'm still <laughs> going to tell you, like, I don't, I don't think putting dark and, and mm. just evil stuff 
is is a great thing for movies. I mean, I get it that it's I get it that it's like a mystery or whatever. I get that aspect of it, where people are trying to tell a story. But I still think that so if I so like yeah, going back to books, I'd say I really love Last of the Mo uh, Well, I love Little House in the Prairie books. Um, I I don't know like there's there's more like concrete books, but I I think I would I would I don't know. It's hard to hard to pin down. Okay. <laughs> And, well, and we found that it seems to be kind of a lost art too. Like yeah. reading books is, I, I guess, the advent. Thank God Al Gore invented the internet, you know, so we could consume Use stuff. a Kindle or, or Amazon app. <laughs> it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, it, um, it took me a while actually to get used to reading electronically, books I mean, because... I'm so used to holding a book and flipping through it and highlighting stuff and I can find stuff fast. Yeah. So yeah. I'm still um, not a fan of eBooks, but I think the other, like if I had to say like favorite books, there's several CS Lewis books. So everyone knows him because of mm. Narnia. Right. But he right. has a lot of really, really nice books on, on other things. So I'd say like almost any CS Lewis book. Okay. So you have a favorite author anyway. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, one of the guys who used to be on here regularly liked to ask, who is your favorite superhero? I don't know if you have one. If not, let's go with historical figure. Ooh, historical figure. Um, I don't know, like Amelia Earhart or... Mm. Um, yeah. I would say any of the founding fathers in a lot of ways, like Thomas Jefferson, John Adams. Um, there's a book I read about, oh, and I'm trying to remember who it was. If it was, I think it was, I think it was, ah, I'll, I'll come back to it later. Um, okay. <laughs> or, or see if I can remember it. Anyhow, like, I think a lot of, you know, figures in American history, I'd call those superheroes. You know, we, my middle son and I were just talking about this yesterday, uh, that the state of the things in the world in our country right now, you have to consider what is the answer to fix some of the problems we have. And you look back at history and how is it, how is it that we got the freedoms that we have? And how is it we got here? People had to give up an awful lot. And it's it's really, you know, it hits you to think, like, is that going to have to happen again? Are people going to have to, you know, give up their lives and everything they work for? Right. To, well, to and, change and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, where I believe you guys lived in Northern Virginia, didn't you, at one time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we lived for about, okay. like, over a decade off and on uh, in uh, Fredericksburg, uh, Stafford, or not Fredericksburg, but Stafford and uh, Woodbridge area. Okay. Well, I, I work in Prince William County, so that's Woodbridge. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Stafford. I now live in Spotsylvania, but so You're you a know. Out. Yeah. So, you know, Matt. This episode is brought to you by Laser App, L A S R App. They specialize in laser dry fire training super convenient and not to mention super cheap. You can use anything for a dry fire target and any device with a camera for capturing the laser hits. There's even a 30 day money back guarantee and it's veteran owned. Semper Fi, Ben. 
You can utilize multiple targets and multiple cameras. It can be as complex or as simple as your heart desires. They even sell steel challenge banners. They sell cert guns and the cert AR bolt so you can practice indoors with your AR for free. There's a newsletter and a forum you can join. When you sign up for the newsletter, they'll send you a free six-part video series. Check out their website. It's a smorgasbord of items to make you better faster. Use the affiliate link on our website or at the bottom of our podcast notes and on YouTube for a 15% discount. Also, use our coupon code in the store for 10% off of other items not necessarily covered by our affiliate link. Thanks for your support, everyone. Without your support, this podcast would be difficult to maintain. Madison and Jefferson were practically neighbors. Yeah. So James I can Madison's imagine. James Madison's home is still cool to see. It is. I love that place. Yeah. Um, but I am sure that the two of them are probably rolling in their grave the way the Constitution is being treated. And I yeah. can... Having been to Mount Vernon and walked George Washington's property and, right. and learned about him, I can only imagine the choice words he would have for politicians these days. Yeah. Based on his I beliefs. And, and, you know, seeing the homes where these people lived and everything that they worked for. Like, uh, so we've gone to Jefferson's, Madison's, and, and Mount Vernon, Washington, and seeing that they had this entire other life and all these interests and, you know, kind of a a very sustainable providing for yourself and that whole ethos that is, is kind of lost in a lot of people, you know? Yeah. Well, so. and the fact that Madison, what had 4,000 books in his library that he studied just to come up with the form of government that we have today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I could, I could go on for hours just about that. So, all right. So you have competed all across the board, rifle, shotgun, pistol, in almost every discipline. What is your favorite gun and what is your favorite caliber? And they don't have to marry up. Ooh, that's a big question. So a lot of times people will say, like, what's your favorite gun to shoot? And I'll, I'll generally say it's what I'm working with at the moment. Because so I did grow up shooting rifle, right? So I shot long range and I shot small bore and I shot air rifles. So everything that was very accuracy focused, very like fundamentals based, you had to, you had to do things just so like I reloaded for myself and my dad and you know, like you learn to do everything just, just so. So then like pistol shooting, I didn't do a lot of it. Shotgun shooting. I think I, the most I shot a shotgun as a kid was for hunter safety. They took us out and we shot mm. like sport, uh, clays it was like under the lights at night kind of a thing um and i didn't really like it because no one really told me how to shoot the shotgun or how to hold it properly and so when we started competing um we started with like local local three gun stuff down at uh fredericksburg when they had local matches down there and this was like 2011 or so and it was really fun and we had i think we had a pump 22 that we'd run and we had put this really fat uh, rubber butt pad on it for the kids, so it was a little more comfortable. Um, or, you know, fat 20-gauge shotgun. Uh, and um, I think I started realizing, like, well, they're all fun. They all have their own uses. 
you know? There's purposes to each of them, and there's reasons why different calibers and different configurations are fun to shoot. You're like, pump guns can be really fun to shoot. It's also nice to have a semi-auto shotgun. Uh, and the same with rifle, like there's purposes for bolt rifles and there's bolt rifles that are, you know, something you'd prefer for long range. And then there's, you know, a need to have an AR-15 and a drum mag. <laughs> so I don't know, I think <laughs> if I had to say what's my favorite, I would probably say my favorite is the one in my hand <laughs> that I'm shooting. Cause, cause honestly, like a favorite caliber, well, Nine mil because it's you can use it in so many firearms, right? So many platforms, your PCCs, your your carbine, you know, like so many things. Um, and it's common; it's easy to find, and there's so many different pistols you can shoot. But then again, like your rifle is technically more useful, right? Um, I so I don't know that I can have a favorite. I think that I would say I'm an American and I have many guns and they all have their favorite purposes and reasons to shoot and use them so i don't think anyone should have just a favorite gun or caliber <laughs> i think you should have all right you should have a bunch of them so your answer is all of them all of them all of them there Every we go one of them. like it's fun to shoot a okay. 50 cal it's fun to shoot a 22 it's fun to shoot an air gun it's, it's all good they you all know, have their purpose. i I just interviewed Ashlyn Champagne, and she did not find shooting a 50 cal very fun. <laughs> well, I think if you are set up on it properly, that makes a big difference, you know? If, if you're shooting it in a way where you're not having... So, to me, ideally, the best way to shoot it is if you're laying prone on the ground behind it, and you get as much of your mass of your body behind it as you can then it's kind of fun. It's not going to hurt you. If you're if you're trying to shoot it offhand or you're a small person and you have just your shoulder behind it, yeah, it might not be very enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it pushed her too because she said she had abrasions on her elbows. So I wonder what type of position she had. Yeah. But. I have a, a niece who's five foot two and all of 120 pounds. And we got her behind it. And it was just so funny because we have a, a bolt rifle. Um and it was just hilarious because she's the gun is taller and bigger than her. And she shot that thing. But we got her set up prone on the grass with a mat and everything so that it was enjoyable. There you go. So I think that a lot of people's like... Yeah, a lot of people's experiences with firearms, whether good or bad, depend on how they are prepared to shoot them and the people that are helping them do that. Or not helping them to do that. Or not yes. helping them. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. It sounds a little bit like Morgan where she said the first time she shot it a shotgun in competition the barrel was dragging on the ground because it was so big right so right. much bigger than her yeah oh all right so i uh, the last well you've got a couple of last questions because your experience is so different than most of the guests i have on my first favorite question for you and by favorite i mean your favorite now you've shot around the world all different places around the world and the U.S., what is your favorite range that you've shot at? That's an easy one. Um, so the, okay. I think the favorite range I've shot at was Sweden for Rifle World Shoot because it was so varied, so different. We really did not do anything in a bay. Um, we had stages where we shot up in the air from a low port with rifles. It was like a crazy. platform? No, 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 like we were, we had, there were like openings in the wall, ports to shoot through, but they were low ports and your targets were up high. So zero backer, nothing, 
Oh, I um, see. And then we, then we shot one stage, we shot the mini Ipsix, like the mini turtle targets. And we were maybe 50 yards ish standing on a stump. There was no way to go kneeling or anything. You just had to offhand. There were no shoots. Like it was legit rifle shooting and like all different types. Then there were rocks and you shot like 200, 300 yards across a lake. Um, you shot, it was just really cool. It was some of the most enjoyable, and, the, and it was just beautiful. The weather was beautiful. I loved Sweden. So I think Sweden, that okay. was my favorite range. And it was a military facility. So they were able to do a lot of things that people otherwise wouldn't be able to do in matches. Um, and that was mm. really, really cool. Okay. I guess that would help then. Yeah. Okay. So of all the different competitions, all the different disciplines you've competed in, which one has been your favorite? Um, so I'd say I have, I don't want to say like I have two favorites, but I think I enjoy three gun the most because it's normal people and everybody is super welcoming and friendly, you know? And I say that, I say that, but so consider that shooting in other countries so like IPSC, it's really, it's one of my favorites because you do get to meet people from all over the world and everyone has such different things they bring. It's, it's really neat and it's really neat to see these other cultures. It's neat to, to see the unification in beliefs. Like you started out this, we started talking about, um, you know, people's, people's belief systems outside of shooting, right? Mm -hmm. And they're very universal as you go around the world. Um, I cannot, there has not been a world event we've been at where somebody from another country is telling us how they're envious of the freedoms we have. And I don't say to them, it's too uh -oh. bad your ancestors did not have a revolution <laughs> several hundred years. You know, that, that these people are all envious of what we have, but they believe many of the same things we do. So that okay. said, that said, um, the people that are able to compete in some of these countries are not average average Joe, average Jane that you see here competing in something like Three Gun or USPSA um, or Trap or whatever. I mean, so most of the shooting sports are very friendly to entry level. I'd say Three Gun's probably the most friendly and that you have people who really want to be there and they really want other people to be there. So they're ready to say, use my stuff, take my, borrow my gun. Why wouldn't you? Um, so you see a lot of that. And I think when you get into USPSA, IPSC, higher level, <clears throat> where you're going to have people that are, they probably invested several thousand dollars in their pistol. Um, and they, they get a little less willing to be that helpful. Or their, their desire to be the top overtakes um, that sense of community, I'd say. So I think that that's something about 3Gun that's really nice, is that people want to be there and enjoy themselves. And yes, they want to perform well, but there there is an overall, I think, different feel to it. Okay. So and then it seems like know, it's not as prevalent as it was. It does seem like there are there are fewer matches lately, um, which is sad. But I think that there, they, I mean, there's layers of reasons why that is. But I do think some of it comes down to the number of matches there are so many matches that people kind of get spread too thin 
that we have had a lot of issues with travel, the price of gas, the price of an availability of ammo. So things like that yeah. have affected what is out there for people to partake in, what competitions they can get to. But I wanna, I wanna just go back really quick what I was saying about IPSC and all these people from around the world that you see people competing in IPSC and, and in different countries, they have different restrictions and different hurdles in order to compete. So for example, we learned when we went to Russia that if you wanna shoot a pistol, you can't actually own a pistol. And you're gonna to have to start with shooting shotgun and show competency and compete in X number of competitions each year. And then you can- This episode is brought to you by Gun Butter. Gun Butter is a premier lubricant for your rifle or pistol. They have grease for parts that need it, like lugs on a bolt gun. Man, do I love a bolt gun. It's a proprietary blend that they won't even trademark so as not to have to give away their trade secrets. Check out the video I put up on YouTube. Uh, look for another one coming soon. I even ran into Rick Powers, an RO at Carry Optics Nationals. He switched to it after listening to our podcast with Mason Litchfield. He loves it. Rob Epifania uses and loves it. Frank Shu uses it and loves it. Use Casual Shooter 20 and save 20% on checkout. And then own that shotgun. And then you can own a rifle. So like there are these steps, but nobody can ever own a pistol. Their club can own a pistol. Now they have PCC and PCC is nine mil, right? So it's sort of mm -hmm. like they're working toward getting access to, to nine mil, to ownership of pistols. So um, I think that competition means different things to people in different countries. So I appreciate IPSC, and it is one of my favorites because I think it shows the universal need for firearms and the understanding that there should be access to them. So that's a, I assume then, I mean, in your conversations with these people from other countries, it's all about governmental control and and all of that is why and they some, can't. I mean, these some things. of it's just understanding too on the part of people who don't own firearms and we see that here as well we see people who don't yes. own firearms who never grew up around firearms and they have a very different understanding of what it means to own one to compete with one the reasons you'd have one and so i think that that is um it's something it's comforting to see in a way that everybody around the world faces the same issues um sometimes it's disheartening because you see here you know the work in social media and the work in marketing areas of the firearms world, uh, you see the prejudice or the the inaccessibility. You know, you might see someone who has a very pro firearm related page and they're just throttled down. And mm -hmm. so, how can you reach those people who the, don't know? The bias. Yeah, the right. bias. So, so I think it's it's like common 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 beliefs, common troubles. Like it's a very a unifying thing you see that it's happening all over the world we're just the last ones who still have some freedoms <laughs> yeah yeah we gotta, gotta have to fight to keep those so since since you've shot high power and you've shot three gun i still i feel like high power is more expensive than three gun am i right or wrong i think you're i mean you just have one gun one type of ammo but, you don't necessarily need an optic. I mean, now everyone's using an optic, right? But right. you could shoot it without. I mean, you could shoot three gun without an optic. Um, I think 
I think three, I don't know, if you asked me, just, I would say I think three guns more expensive because you're going to have to have a rifle, a pistol, and a shotgun, and ammo for all of them, and the associated gear. You could shoot high power. You could use a, a nice used canvas jacket and a sling and a rifle and your ammo. Eyes and ear protection. Yeah, but if you're going to compete seriously, you're going to have to have a spotting scope, a decent yeah. one. Yeah, and you're going to need a barrel. It doesn't have to be top of the line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the gun, the spotting scope, the, the rifle scope. Um, even for people who are shooting service rifle now, they use an LPVO. Right. I, I, I was out of rifle competition shooting for, I guess it was, it was over 20 years. And when I went back in, I went in shooting iron sights and I'm looking down and I'm like, Everybody has an LPVO. I'm like, how, how does everybody have a scope on their rifle? What is this? This is not in any rifle, any sight match. So what is it? Well, then I found right. out the rules had changed because what is, the military is it a one had to four? changed. What is it? Like, what it is a one have? to four. One yeah. to four, yeah. So, I mean, you could take And your... I think it's a maximum of a 32 millimeter objective lens. Okay. Okay. So it's, I mean, it's a decent enough scope. It's not, yeah. it's not like it's a really like a PRS scope, but you could still get like a Burris MTAC for $400, right? Ish. Yeah. Um, and you could, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't even know what people are using. Are they, are they, they're doing an M14 and they're putting a, a nice barrel on it and they're do getting a well, bang job. They're doing no. <laughs> Oh, this is so they funny. Have, they they have like we both think costumes. the same thing. Right. Now they're they're all shooting ARs, match grade ARs with big bull barrels oh, on them. Oh, right, right, right. You know, and the but LPBO. It, so you're still expensive guns. But it's not like, it's not a chassis. Or are there chassis? I bet there's chassis now. Or does um, it have to be There are, AR? but there are so many different, like I, I, the only thing I care about anymore, I started to get into back into service rifle but then i was like you know what i'm not i don't i was anyway i decided not to do that and i'm like i'm just going to shoot any rifle any sight matches but even then you know um, the guns that i use are not cheap the ammo is right. not cheap like i load my right <clears throat> excuse me I, I load my own 6.5 creed and the federal premium match stuff the gold medal match that stuff shoots great out of my 308 so i just use that but that's it was costing me <clears throat> one weekend match alone would cost 80 dollars just in ammo right and this was this was six years ago well and so, i think so if you did three gun you have to consider okay am i how big of a match is it? Am I shooting pistol? So shotgun right now is like $9 a box, $10 a box, right? So if you use 200 rounds of shotgun at $9 a box, then you've got your I haven't bought your shotgun in a while, so. Yeah, then you have your, then you have your rifle ammo. Then you have your, sh your pistol ammo. Are you reloading those? Are you buying those factory? What are you doing? I think I think three gun would be more to be honest. I do okay. think that the, there is a financial component in why you see a decline in it. Um, and I know that there's so much talk about people. You know, like USPSA for a while was, and I, last year they had the first two gun match where they had rifle and pistol, 
and it was very fun. And part of the idea was that there were so many people who don't want a shotgun or own a shotgun. They don't enjoy it. They don't want the cost of getting, because if you get a shotgun set up for three gun that has the gunsmithing done to it, you're probably looking at at least a thousand dollars, right? At least like the buying one used. Um, so wow. yeah, so there, there is an investment in the gun. Um, so yeah, there, I think that there are barriers that are financial to it. Uh, but that doesn't mean somebody can't do like what we did when we started, where we would go to Fredericksburg and we'd take the 20 gauge with a big, you know, a pump 20 gauge that was not set up for anything at all and just go have fun. Right. Just go yeah. enjoy yourself. That's what you're supposed to do. Like, yeah, that's what competitions are about. Yes. Being better skilled and perfecting all those fundamentals you need to hit targets, but enjoying it, right? Absolutely. So getting back to where we were now, I would, I normally ask people, you know, when did you first shoot a gun? How did you find competition? All of that. But your website said that you first shot a gun at the age of five and you found competition at 14. And our yeah. conversation earlier was you started in high power rifle. Yes. So how did you go from first shooting a gun at five to shooting high power at 14 and shooting an M14 at the age of 14? That's a big gun to be shooting. It was. Well, first we shot uh, M1 Garands. How about that? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and that was a little, that was a little not fun. Um, so, so yeah. So when I was about 14, my dad had been gunsmithing for Krieger for a little while. They're very good family friends. They're godparents to two of my siblings. Um, and we grew up going to school with their kids. So they're family friends. Um, and my dad was like, hey, Jim Owens, who is a former coach for the Marine Corps rifle team, was doing a class down in Milwaukee. And so we decided to go. And my mom, my sisters, two or two or three of my sisters went along too. And so for, for that summer, we, we did a few like shorter matches, like just like the 80 round course or whatever. Um, and then I liked it. I would go with my dad and I shot, they had a match to qualify. Like they were doing teams for the junior team to go to Camp Perry. And so I shot. And then if you did well enough, there were M14s that they had that you could then take and use for the year. And so I had an M14 and my dad kind of went over it. It was one of the, like a, uh, how am I blanking on the name? They have the big facility in Talladega, uh, CMP. Oh, CMP. <laughs> yeah. Like I think they were the CMP <laughs> that they were purchased. So they were, I mean, they were decent, but they weren't amazing. So we took that gun apart. My dad put a Krieger, like a, um, a barrel on it that had been like, not thrown in the scrap bin per se, but there was something cosmetically wrong. And he's like, hey, we're gonna need to use this one and put a good barrel on. We bedded it, we got it all, you know, it was a great little rifle. And I shot that for four years. Um, I would, I mean, I weighed a little less when I was 14, <laughs> a little shorter, a little smaller. <laughs> um, so I would get beat up because my cheek weld, my thumb would sometimes, I felt like I had two different, like I can still recall this. I felt like I would have two different sort of cheek welds, like one where I was high and one where I was a little back further and I would get it, my collarbone would get hit pretty bad and my face, one time someone's like, did you get stung by a bee? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, your face. I'm like, oh, it's just my, my, my thumb's hitting my face so hard. 
because um, I just wasn't a very big person. Wow. But I shot well. We um, one year the one boy that I was I was paired up with for Whistler Boy. We were one of the top teams, and I think that he like. I think there was a lot of pressure on a kid. <laughs> and so it was really sad because we were like, oh, we're one of the top teams. And we weren't, and then we had like maybe the 600 yard line or something. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. It was, it was a good experience because um, I think a lot of people don't realize how, like zeroing rifles, for instance. Our oldest son, Tim, he's been top in the world with a rifle, with a shotgun, with a pistol. Uh, and he's an amazing shooter. But there's times when my husband and I hear him shoot a group, we're like, he is not going that fast. Is he really? That is not shooting that big <laughs> And, and uh, you know, like the absolute consistency you need for precision. You know, like we shot. This episode is brought to you by Hoist. Hoist your IV level rehydrating electrolyte blend of sodium, potassium, magnesium, and calcium. It's clinically proven to hydrate 110% faster than water. Chris Gelnett was on episode 63 and gave his own personal testimony. He had a bad experience with the heat at Area 8 in 2021 when temps were near 100 and the humidity was high. He was ready to quit with three stages to go. He had mentally checked out. Afterward, he listened to episode 48 with Rachel Trotta, Decided to try hoist, bought a case off Amazon, started using it at locals and found, hey, I'm not fatigued at the end of the day. So he took it to area five and at the end of the day, he was ready to shoot the match again. As a matter of fact, he even had a stage win on his last stage. Man, they have all the best flavors. They have watermelon, peach mango, dragon fruit strawberry, lemonade, grape, and I'm sure I'm missing a few. It's probably the only beverage that I've tried that I like all of the flavors. You can buy it either in a powder and mix it with water, or you can buy it pre-mixed, whichever way you prefer. But check it out, get hydrated, stay hydrated, use Casual Shooter and save 10% or be like Chris and have a recurring subscription and save 15% a rifle and air pistol in college and you know like the silly you know you're standing here with your air rifle and you move it from the stand to your hip and you shoot and you're shooting at like a little pinpoint downrange 33 yeah. feet away um that it's just about con complete and utter consistency um so i think that that's a really great skill and we had a lot of people when we started shooting um the, like uspsa and stuff say it's good to have those fundamentals that accuracy background because it's easy to go fast. It's a lot more difficult to slow down and have control. And I think that that's something that is very true. Like you'll see some of these young kids that like they can, oh, they can move so fast. They can do this and that so fast. But when it comes to control, you're like, that, that's not fully developed yet. <laughs> right. Yeah. That seems to come later. Yeah. And yeah. This is one of the things I was going to ask you before. I'm going to go ahead and throw it in now. You found USPSA and all that stuff much earlier in life. I found it at 52. Okay. And I, I came from a rifle background, all precision. Everything I ever did was precision. So I have found it much more difficult to accept a, a larger area of accuracy 
and shooting fast because I want everything to be, oh no, it's got to be right there on that spot. How did right. you make that transition? Because you started in high power, which is precision oriented, but then you obviously did other disciplines where, you know, a zone in USPSA is acceptable. Right, right. Well, and, and you know, I think that it was difficult at first, um, especially like earlier I was saying how I always thought myself a rifle shooter and then shooting shotgun or pistol. Um, I'm a really good pistol shooter. I have records on every event in Bianchi. Um, but it's it's the control aspect of it. So I think that it's, there's like there's like, imagine it like sliders, like you've got control, you've got accuracy. And there's, you know, that's what hit factor is, right? It's a balance. So yeah. you have different differences, different disciplines where you're like, all right, control's got to be here. Accuracy's here. And then other ones where you're like, they both have to be up here. So um, I think understanding that there are times where your focus just has to shift to one of those or the other, and one has more value than another. Just like if you're shooting an IPSC stage, um, so... When you shoot a world shoot, you have short courses, medium courses, and long courses. And you have like three short, two medium, and a long every day. So that the balance of points is the same. So say there's really bad weather. Well, you didn't shoot like the biggest stage of the match on the bad weather day and someone had the great weather day. They do it to really kind of keep, keep things equitable and keep balance. Um, and if you have a short course, there are times where you just have to be very clean and very consistent. We were just talking about the balance. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that whole speed speed versus precision and right. all of and that. that. The, yeah, yeah, so, like, we, we thought we'd go to these, you know, matches for shotgun world shoots where um, the speed courses we weren't going to do as great at, and we did really very well at them. And the, you just have to find what is the balance of do I take that extra shot or not? It, and when is the time more important than than um, than not? And you know, there's a saying like people. You'll, I'm sure you've heard people say like you can't miss fast enough to to you know like make yeah. it up or whatever. Um, we always say, with the exception of Brian Nelson. I don't know if you've ever met Brian Nelson. Um, not. He's an amazing pistol shooter. He's actually working down in your area with the Marine Corps right now. Um, okay. Doing a lot of great stuff. Um, he's a very accomplished shooter. You should have him on your podcast. But so he's the only person who can miss fast enough that it that he could make something up. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, but so yeah, I'd say you know for me in terms of your question and how did I get get comfortable with the speed versus my accuracy discipline background? I think just pushing myself, just going out and saying, okay, all I'm going to do, and, and it helps having kids who are fairly fast and trying to catch them or keep up with them. Um, <laughs> So that, that's always been helpful. You know, like I'll go out and if, if, say, we're practicing something that we know we're trying to hit a certain time, I'll say like, all right, what's Tim doing it in? And then I'll just try to see if I can keep up, if I can be within a few seconds of him. Um, and then I think otherwise, um, you, you probably hear people talk about like sight focus versus target focus in, ac in yes. like action shooting. And I think there's something that like clicked visually for me when I was shooting Pan American this year and I'm like I think I'm a lot more target focused not intentionally but like what I was seeing kind of shifted and so mm. it's really I think that that's something else that if there was something I think I would love to do it would be 
what is this person actually seeing? Because like you could do a, a hat camera, you could do a you know an Insta 360, a GoPro, whatever, and you can sort of get an idea. But you don't really know what that person's seeing and when their eyes were moving. Like that to me would be the most interesting because I feel like <clears throat> you can describe what you do to someone so much, but unless they actually know what you're seeing and when you're seeing it, it's it's just other information that you're trying to fit into your into your puzzle you're trying to solve i think i think the aim cam glasses come the closest i have a pair of those that i use okay. and i can see my dot on the target yeah that's helpful yeah jason bradley i've had i had him on before and he had posted something about he he had a pair and he thinks he was going to get rid of them and i was like hey shoot him you know use them once before you just get rid of them because I've been able to, like you were just saying, there was a stage here at the Fredericksburg USPSA match over at the Rod and Gun Club. Yep. And I was like, have I was like, have, have I been following my sights to the target during transition? I wasn't confident at that match that I wasn't. And okay. I don't know why. I don't remember what it was that was like. So I went back and there was a specific stage where it was a pretty wide transition. Um, at probably at least a 90 degree transition where I'm shooting this way and then I'm turning back this way. And when I slowed the video footage down, you can see where I'm, my eyes are here and the gun is coming after and then on the target and bang, bang. So I was yeah. like, okay, perfect. That's exactly what I should be doing. So you got your answer from it. Yeah, I did specifically because I was able to see because the camera's literally right here. So with, with the location right above my pupil, it doesn't interfere with my vision, but I can see what the gun is doing. I can see where I'm looking, you know, that type of thing. If, if I'm leaning to the right, it doesn't work as well, you know, cause it's, it's over my, it's actually, it's over my right eye, but whenever I, you know, lean or turn hard, it doesn't pick up as well. But for the most part, you know, 75% of the time, I can actually see what I'm doing. Nice. So, Helpful. Yeah. That's a, yeah, that's probably the closest thing I've seen to that. Um, so did you shoot at Perry? Yes. What'd you think of the wind there? It was windy. <laughs> yeah. It's atrocious. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So when, like, I live in Wisconsin, I grew up in Wisconsin, and we would shoot at Winnequa, and then down at Racine at County Line Rifle Club. Um, and both of those had their wind, uh, but Winnequa's actually got your, there's elevation change as you get out to 600, mm. but even the 300, 200, like, there's little valleys, and there's always kind of weird winds going on out there. So it was actually a good place to grow up shooting because you did have to pay attention to the wind. Um, and I feel like Camp Perry, at least it was fairly consistent. It's just typically strong. Yes, yes. And if if yeah. if you, like I shot at North Carolina one time, and I shot a 199 at 600, and the one point that I dropped was when the wind let off. Yeah. Right as I was breaking the shot. And there were two of us that pulled the trigger almost the same time. And literally a split second before we pulled the trigger, the wind died as we were breaking the shot. 
So yeah. it was just in the nine ring, you know? So that's where I see offhand at Perry when yeah. that wind is kicking. And yeah. that's, that can be a struggle. Yeah. And when, when it stops, just abruptly stops or changes direction, that's a pain. Yeah. So, all right. So let's, let's move on then. So all through high school, you're shooting high power. And then you go to college and you shoot air rifle and pistol. And small bore. Oh, and small, small bore. bore. So okay. the, the program that Marquette had was primarily small bore or, or primarily air rifle. And then we shot small bore and um, air pistol too. So one of our one of our friends that was on the team, Mike Douglas, he competed um, in air pistol and free pistol and he went to the Sydney Olympics. And then there was another gal that was in school there, Mary Beth Larson, and she competed in pentathlon. So our junior year, I think, um, we went to West Point. It was really funny because the, the air pistol was just kind of for fun. It was just the four of us like, hey, let's go see what we can do. Um, so we walk into West Point and there's like these two girls and these two guys and, you know, there's all the military academies and they're so serious. And we took, I think we took second or third. I forget what we did, but we did pretty well. And so it was kind of fun to just walk in and be like, yeah, all right, we guess we'll try this. Um, okay. But yeah, no so pressure. The program was right. No pressure. Exactly. The program though was primarily air rifle and small bore. Um, <clears throat> so we did a, a lot of air rifle. <laughs> okay. Now, how much of a change was that though for you from high power to air rifle? Um, I mean, there were some things that were very similar, like your offhand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you had better. I mean, I had better equipment. Um, for air rifle. Um, like I just had a pretty crappy canvas jacket for high power. I didn't have a really nice jacket. Um, I bought myself a nice, really nice, uh, Creedmoor leather glove. I still have it red, white, and blue. That was like my, my nice. newest, nicest piece of equipment. So, I mean, I shot with iron sights. It was a M14 that was, you know, CMP. My dad helped. We rebarreled it, did all that stuff to it. And, um, I had knob blocks. Um, I had those for, for high power and for small bore. Um, but yeah, I, it was, it was very low, low gear, I guess. And then small bore and air rifle, you know, I had a little bit more, more support with school. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. It was interesting. It was everything you'd think NCAA shooting would be. (laughs) Okay. Uh, take that for what, what it sounds like. (laughs) Okay. So I, I am curious about one thing with air rifle and service rifle. So my, my question was, when you shot both high power iron sights and air rifle, where did you aim? And what I'm asking is, like, I had my gun zeroed, so the tip of my front sight post was at the bottom edge of the bullseye. Right. Did you aim center mass of the bull or did you aim somewhere else? So I'd call it more like flat tire, like bottom, but just like bumped yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah, So that was kind of like for for us, for high power. Because small bore, you use the little glass, uh, like uh, the clear plastic front sight. So it's just concentric circles. There's no oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, okay. so you just, maybe you adjust the size, like depending on the lighting. <clears throat> so it was something very interesting. The range that we 
shot it at Marquette that we practiced on. Very bright. It was a bright backdrop. Like, the range itself wasn't super bright. There was enough ambient light, but the downrange was bright. It was a white background, and we had bright lights right there. I actually have a big scar where I burned my leg one time because I bumped the light. Wa there was, like, a board. Wow. A board maybe yay high so that the lights were hidden. You wouldn't see them from behind, right? But they're shining at okay. your target. And we were shooting kneeling, so I had my pants unzipped on the one leg, right? And I had shorts on under the, the heavy pants. And when I okay. went to step over the light, my, my side of my shin hit it, and I have this. I took off a whole chunk of skin on the light. It's gross. Um, so it was very bright. you still have a scar. Yeah. It was very bright. Wow. Um, and, yeah, like my worst shooting injury, right? <laughs> 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 For my light bulb. Um, so... Um, Anyhow, when we would go to different events, sometimes they would not have the same lighting, and it I, it, re it really affected some of us um, because you're used to like obtaining a good sight picture, and when there's not enough light mm. with those clear uh, plexiglass, whatever it was, the the little sights, you're like, I I can't get my sights to look the same, you know? Wow. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Did you guys ever try? Um practicing in a lower light condition then or no no i, I mean I, I don't think we had enough events it would be like i think one year we had ncaa like we had nationals at a place that had that and we were or, or maybe it was our conference match at a place that where the light wasn't the greatest and we were all kind of like bemoaning like you know this really sucks <laughs> what are you gonna do about it? um and yeah, so I guess toning down the lights might have been something to consider had it happened a lot or something. But um, yeah, I mean, okay. it's just something. It's just something. It's interesting. Like it's a. It's the same problem. Anyhow. So did you compete all four years at, in college then? Yep. Yep. Small bore and air rifle and air pistol was like the last two years. So you traveled around to a, a lot of different places there too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the Great Midwest Conference, so it was like Ohio. Um, Kentucky, you know, it was just the Midwest. Okay. Yeah. But you didn't travel beyond the Midwest then? Um, so we had, and I had before college gone out to the Olympic training center for some stuff. Um, and then we had, like I said, we had nationals the one year at West Point. So a little, a little bit here and there. What was your favorite experience with that? With college the shooting. food. The, the, oh, so, well, I thought you meant going out to the Olympic Training Center. Like, they had the most, oh, it was Colorado uh, Springs. They had the most amazing food. And I come from a family of seven, and I was the second oldest. And so, like, um, we didn't grow up with a lot of money. Um, so, you know, like, seven kids. You, I like food. It's a lot of mouths. <laughs> yeah. It's a, a lot of mouths a, to feed. Yeah. As a teenager, I'm like, I can eat whatever I want as much as I want. <laughs> It was pretty awesome. <laughs> now, what, what, all right, I'm just going to go with the order that we had them in. So three gun. Mm -hmm. How, how did you get into three gun? Like, how did you find it and go, oh, I'm going to shoot this? Uh, so we, like I said, um, we started the first action shooting stuff we did was down at Fredericksburg in like 2011. And it was because our kids at the time, you know, we always shot between college and then, just the kids were younger, so we didn't, you know, it was just more recreational. Uh, we didn't go and compete. And so the boys were doing, they did wrestling with the Marines at Quantico, they did swim team, 
in the summers and there were points where we're getting up at like 4 a.m. to go to these swim meets. We, we'd have to work a job like you'd run clerk of course and make sure the kids get to where they need to go. But you wouldn't see your kids swim necessarily. And I thought, this is the dumbest thing. We're out here at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. We don't even get to see, spend time with our kids. This is dumb. And so we started, we said, let's go shooting. Let's, let's go back and go <laughs> shoot, some, shoot some matches. So we started shooting USPSA. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and USPSA okay. and then there were three gun, like just local stuff for fun. Um, and the kids were younger. So Andrew, I think when he was like eight, eight or seven or eight at the time. So the youngest didn't really shoot the first couple years. And then he was about nine when we started. Um, we were back home then in Wisconsin and we go to Winnegua, our local club. And we would shoot the league nights and everyone's so welcoming and some a couple of the older guys would be like andrew come over here can you see through this port do we need to bring you a stool or something to stand on and um but i think that goes back again to uh if you want to get started in shooting competition start locally because that's where you're going to find the network of people that are are that want to do it they love it and they want to be there good bit of advice yeah how do you okay so how did you find Bianchi Cup, an NRA action pistol? So, okay, so we shot the first bit of USPSA and 3-Gun. We all really liked it. We're like, hey, we're okay with this. Um, and Tim, our oldest, actually shot pistol well enough that, you know, some of the local people we shot with were like, hey, we'd like to see him shooting. Like, he should go shoot single stack nationals. And so we did that. Um, <clears throat> and so he... What year? Oh. What year was that? probably 2012, 13, 14, 15 era. Like he, okay. he's shot very well. Um, he has national titles from that, I think. And then, so, but the Bianchi was, we wanted to be better pistol shooters for three gun and everything else we were doing. And my husband's like, you guys should go do it. You know, go, go shoot it. You're accurate. So Tim and I, my oldest and I were the ones that did it first. And then we got everybody else roped into it. Um, and so the boys have held the title for junior Bianchi champion for six years, five years. Um, Tim won it four years, Sean once, and then COVID. Um, and then Andrew uh, twice. Of course. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And that's it's an awful lot of fun. It's different. It's all part-times. Um, you have to right. be – you can't have mistakes. So like this year, I was really sad. Last year, 2021 – um, I won the ladies and it was the first time I'd ever shot open in that event. And I was very happy and I was very pleased cause I'm like, I know I can shoot this well. Well, this year I had the same, no different gun. Um, but like I gauged my ammo, I drop checked it, you know, like chamber checked it, everything. It's the same, the gun that has had like no malfunctions and then, Oh no. I'm, I'm shooting plates prone and I can't, like, it was like, I don't know, almost a quarter inch out of battery. Couldn't get it in, couldn't get it in, couldn't get it out. And Julie, uh, Julie Golub's on the line with us and she like flags over one of the Alex, one of the, the AMU guys. She's like, come help her. And the, we look at the RO, we're like, Kenny, And he's like, sure. And so he just hammered it into battery, like hit it. And then um, we're like, well, now what? And he was like, I would shoot it. And I look at the RL, I'm like, can I? And and we weren't, like, I think everyone really wasn't sure what to do. So they just, I shot it and then we're like, all right, I guess I could keep going. But I lost half the plates on that, uh, on that oh, run. Oh, wow. So it's really sad. Like, you can't have anything. You have 
one and Sean, my old, my middle son, Sean, that was there, he had a malfunction and like you have one malfunction, you're out. So it's, it's right. a great lesson in, um, and I, I mean, I cleaned that gun. I love, I like cleaning gun, guns. I really do. And I'm very religious about it. Like we tore the gun apart before the event and then put it all back together and then ran it for the week, but you know, cleaning it very consistently. So it's not like it was dirty. Um, we, Bruce Pyatt, I was asking him questions. We were talking about stuff with the ammo and all this stuff. He's like, no, everything's right. Like it's just, it just shouldn't have happened. I'm like, I know. And I'm like, but it, and I, it just is what it is. It's just, there's it's life. Things aren't always going to work. So you were never able to diagnose what the problem no, was, huh? No, I mean, to wow. me, I wonder, is it because there's, it's gravel on the range and you're going prone. Did, mm -hmm. did I kick a piece of gravel into something on the mat and as I'm sliding down, did it somehow, you know, get in the mag well and the next time I change mags, I'm like, I don't know, it's not worth agonizing about. It sucked, it happened, right. I can't change it. You know, I could, I could sit and agonize about it or I could say, well, this is a great lesson in like, how do you overcome? Like, you can tell people like, well, this is what happened. I mean, I did everything I was supposed to do. It's life. Now, Sometimes I have a, stuff doesn't work. Yeah. It's, okay. it's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean I'm any less of a shooter or my gear was, or my gun was anything less or my ammo. Like everything was done the way it was supposed to be. And it's, it's now, also why a lot of people choose not to shoot it. Um, there's a lot of people who are like, why would I waste my energy and my time and my money and go do that? And you have one problem and, and you're just screwed. Because it's a different type of shooting. And yes, it makes you better. It's a different type of shooting. But also the the mental pressure that is on someone in that match is something that you really cannot, um, you can't recreate that. Like it's, it's really hard. Unless you're in a shoot-off type situation, it's really hard to have a situation where you're shooting a match and there's a camera like four feet from your face watching you because they know you're one of the top people in this, you know, going for this. So... So that's a very difficult thing to recreate. And if you can put yourself in those situations where you're under pressure can often, then you deal with it better when you, when it matters, you know? Yeah. Now how, yeah. now those open guns are different than, you know, what people are used to open guns in like USPSA. So um, round, roundabout, how much does your open gun for Bianchi cup cost you? I think it depends on who you have built it. And, oh, okay. and yeah, and what parts you use and all of that stuff. Okay. Um, it's thousands of dollars. It's not like an inexpensive gun. Um, okay, correct. Yeah, and and they're different mostly in that you have a barricade shroud, which mm -hmm. is, you know, you have these wings, these little L brackets that you mount the gun on the barricade and you shoot. So when you shoot with your strong hand, you're actually triggering it with your weak hand. And then when you shoot on this side of the barricade, you're holding it and mounting it and grabbing and then triggering it with your normal hand. So there's there's a little bit of like learning. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So when you mount it on, like for me, it'd be the right side of the barricade. I mount, the, I draw, transfer. As I'm mounting the gun, I'm grabbing the barricade and holding the barricade shroud so to the barricade. you're using your hand like a clamp. Yes, exactly. Um, wow. And there's different okay. ways people do it. Like if you look at how Julie Golub does it, she does it a little different than some people do it. So um, it's kind of a personal thing and the, there's a learning curve to it and all that. So it's a great right. discipline for um, also being really careful. Like 
you're grabbing this gun. You've got a hand you're not used to doing stuff, but like, when are you transferring it? Where are you putting it up? You know, um, it, it does require a lot of mental awareness and being right in that moment. Vera Koo, she's won the ladies many times. She's a really great shooter. She told us once we were practicing down in um, Louisiana for Crawfish Cup, and she said, you're like, when you shoot plates, you have to focus on that plate right in front of you. It can't be the one you just shot or the next one you're going to shoot. It's that plate. And that's where your focus is. Your mental everything is right there. And that, again, is something that's very difficult to get in other disciplines. Um, so just focus on the moment. Focus yeah. on that one, like, little sliver of time and, like, thin right. slicing that little sliver of time. And that's it's a great skill to have because everything else is, is gone. And you have to have the, the mental ability to do that. So how hard is it then to focus on because you know you've got more plate you know you've got more steel targets that you've got to knock over how right. hard is it to focus on not rushing it's it's difficult you have to you have to practice so we put more practice into that match than probably m most of the other matches um depending on what what we have going on that year but you have to practice and and your cadence and everything um it's really important because you're going to have that kind of in your head for the cadence and, and there's different times. So you all, you kind of need a cheat sheet just for the times, because say you're shooting plates the falling plate event, you go 10, 15, 20 and 25 yards. I hope I'm doing it right. <laughs> I need the cheat sheet. Um, and then it's, right. yeah. it's five, six, seven and eight seconds. So the time oh, changes wow. each distance too. So, right. um, so you have to you have to take into account that you're you're changing when you change distances you're changing the time and most people who shoot open shoot standing for the first and then I'd say it's maybe like halves third three quarter uh, like the second distance they go some go standing some go prone and the final two distances everyone will go prone even with iron sight guns people will go prone because it's not worth missing that plate it's worth ten points. And, but you're starting, your start position is standing and at the yeah. beat, yeah. you're dropping into the prone and then engaging right. the targets. And going prone, right. Right. So, so you it's have a little to island. That. Yes, you have to practice that. And yeah. it's, I mean, it's not easy. Like, um, I don't know if you've seen Julie Golub. She just had to have surgery for her ACL. And um, it took them some time to finally say, oh, this is what's wrong. And I, I feel for her because she's like, I have to decide. Do I do it now? Do I wait? Um, right. And uh, so it, it is a little violent, you know, going prone with a pistol. People, some people might be like, eh, that's an old man sport. You're like, well, if you are trying to get down prone, um, the 20-yard line, or is it 25 I need the cheat sheet. Uh, in the, the <laughs> practical event, you go back the first distance, you're all standing. The second distance, you're all standing. The third distance, I think it is 25 yards. You're, um, you have like three seconds to go prone the, or, or four seconds. Like the time is so tight. Like it's the, the third string of fire at that distance is like the, the most difficult in the entire match. And you're going prone really fast, really violently. <laughs> yeah. What people have to understand is, you know, it, that whole time encompasses that you, you know, cause your gun is also holstered, correct? Right. Right. Yep. Right. So 
You have eight seconds to remove the gun from the holster, drop into the prone, establish a good position, and then engage the targets you need to engage at 25 yards. Right. Hit six plates. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I'm not... Uh, practical so I'm event. seeing the low resolution oh. on you. Now, you did you say, uh-oh, but do you still hear me? I still hear you. Just let me okay. know. All right. Very interesting. The pra You said that was the practical event? Practical, yeah. Okay. It says from the appropriate shooting line, the shooter fires at distances from 10 to 50 yards. Right. 50 is prone back at, you know, back at 50, everyone goes prone. Um, okay. And you have more time for that, though. It's like seven, is it seven? 10 and 14 seconds. I, I can't seem to find the... Like, I can bring it up. The, yeah, I was just trying to see what the actual course of fire was, you know? Um, uh, I so. will bring up, because we have this handy-dandy document my husband made titled Bianchi Cheat Sheet. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, you know what? I see a picture of a female shooter clamping her gun to the barricade, and I see what you're saying, but she's... The outside arm is the one clamping the gun to the wall, and then the inside arm is yes, gripping and pulling the trigger. Yes, this isn't. It's not quite opening up right for me. There's like an offset. All right, here we go. So it's seven Event seconds. You're doing three on each in seven seconds at 25 yards. So that's get down uh, into prone, shoot three on each paper target, and there's not an audible signal. You have to watch for the targets to turn, so the targets are bladed oh. facing. Oh. So there's no audible okay. start. Yeah. So then Not how you need to pay attention to. Since you have competed where it's a visual start, this last year's nationals at Carry Optics, did you have any glitches with that um, visual start on that stage? So I'm, I'm there were two visual start stages. I've had several visual start stages this year. You're so talking it was about... the one with the lights, like you're standing in the middle of the stage and there, and there were was lights. A... No, no, no. That was not an issue. Um, I okay. had an issue. There was the stage that was the part-time stage at Carry Optics. And if you were over, if you fired a shot, yeah. had, there was like a grace period. But if you fired any after, there were penalties. I didn't hear that part. And right. so that really Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, that was uh, the one where you yeah. got three-tenths of a second. So going back to Bianchi, there's something in there that I absolutely love, which makes me want to shoot Bianchi just to do it. Okay. And that is the actual moving targets. Yes. I My shot favorite. moving targets in the military. Yes. Right. And I saw you just shot moving targets as well at in Thailand and yes, Pan American it, Games, right? Yes. Yeah, so moving targets in IPSC and um, USPSA are a little different. Like they tend to be swingers, drop turners. Um, and the moving target they had down at Pan American in Florida was just on a track just to study, you know, it was right to left. Um, so in Thailand, they had movers that were, I didn't look at the configuration of the actual device they used, but it moved, but it also like swung back and forth while it was moving. Yeah, so it was those like were, wobbling. Those, yeah, those were not easy. They were interesting targets. But I really, I, I wish there were more moving targets. I don't mean swingers and bobbers. I mean actual Movers. moving targets 
that you engage in USPSA. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's not very difficult because you just have to establish a lead. When people shoot open, you have a, they call it a stick shift. And people are even putting these, or they're putting multiple, is it multiple front sight blades on their, on their metallic guns, their iron sight, like your limited gun, um, so that you don't have to lead the mover. They're offset. Um, so there's ways to kind of get around leading it. But like I shot, I shot metallic with just regular iron sights for years. And it's a very good skill to have to understand, like, I'm leading it this much and at this distance I'm leading it that much but it was basically like okay right up close you're just putting your sights on that target the 10 yard line or whatever it was 15 10 oh you're putting your you're putting your sights on that target I'm like looking at the cheat sheet here I'm probably not gonna find it yeah. oh, anyhow you're you're just kind of holding like in the black sort of um I would say for me it would look like the leading edge of my front sight is on the leading edge of the circle as it's moving. So like, if this okay. is the black, you know what I mean? Like as it's going. So yeah. I'm still in the black, right? Whichever way I'm going. Right. And then as right. you get out of that, as You're you get further back. You're just on the leading back, edge of it. Right. So then as you get further back, there's there's like a distance measurement that you can say, or you could look at like what part of your sight needs to be where. So it's easy to say, put the leading edge of your front sight blade on the leading edge of the black for the close one. And then it's easy to say, now take the trailing edge of your front sight blade and put it on the leading edge of the black. And now okay. take the leading edge of your front of your rear sight or whatever it is, like whatever you have to see. So it depends on whether right. you're like math person or are you visual person? Like how do you think about things and what is it you need to see? But once you figure that out, it's just about consistency and right. a very clean trigger pull. <laughs> yeah. And it's at 10, 15, 20 and 25 yards. So yeah, you would you know, these are all different skills that yeah, yeah. you would have to be able to master. Yeah. So um, it is, I mean, it's a, it's a very useful match for teaching yourself, like you just said, different skills that you have to master and they have to be perfect. Like, it's not like, eh, you can go to a three gun match and get two anywhere on paper in some matches. Is that a great skill or is that a test of how fast you can go and still hopefully hit the paper? Taking it a step further, I feel like real life skills for people that you know carry concealed every day um that is a skill that would be very valuable to have knowing how to engage moving targets like that especially if you are in a job like law enforcement or something where that could definitely be an issue yeah i think that um I think that it is, it, the moving target is a good skill to have because a lot of people don't understand leading or yeah. how little you actually do have to lead um, for certain distances. Uh, right. It even comes down to like your ammunition too, like how fast is your ammo going? And um, so, yeah, there's there's some very practical applications to it. Uh, when another, another thing, you know, going back to your question about when we, got back to shooting and started competing again. Um, so my husband is with the state patrol and we all started shooting Glocks because for him, that was his duty gun. It still is his duty gun, right? So he has more time and experience using it. Um, and he felt like, Hey, this is good. And, and it is interesting that you'll hear every so often about the number of law enforcement who would never go 
to a match because it would be their own time and no one's giving me ammo, no one's paying for this, they'd have to pay for it themselves. Right. But if you if you have to use these tools in your job, wouldn't you rather be more skilled with it? So you can keep your eye on what you're doing and you're not, I mean, because we see all of the Instagram, TikTok, all the videos about the police officers messing up and grabbing the wrong thing instead of their pepper spray or whatever. Right. Yeah. I think that the more, the more you train, the more prepared you are and the better able you are to, to, you like have the mental bandwidth to then process what else is going on. You're not worried about how do I use my gun? That's pretty scary to think that there's many police officers who have to think about how to use their firearm. I totally agree. I mean, most of them, I'm not going to say most, but I'm many. sure there's a, a fair number that, you know, only shoot the required number of times to qualify right. and maintain and he, that qualification. Even that is, is really, it's sad because, um, so we knew a police officer who failed a shotgun qual and... It wasn't like it was necessarily his fault. His agency doesn't require him to carry a shotgun. He only quals every so many years. It's not even a yearly thing. And so in that regard, you're like, well, that's kind of on the agency to not have their people. If they're going to require you to qualify with it, it should be annually. You should get some time using it. But I, I don't think many of them even have access to that firearm. So it's a little, it's just, it's silly. And so you, you, you do see people saying, well, hey, I don't want to spend my own time, money, et cetera. Like, should a, should a police officer have to buy, uh, you know, say their, say their agency uses a Mossberg, something, something. Should they have to go buy that gun so that they can be proficient with it? Or should their agency, if they require them to use it, give them adequate time to be proficient and adequate training? So it comes back I mean, to that. Sure. But I do, I, anyhow, I just think for someone in a job where you're going to use a pistol or potentially have to use a pistol, being able to use it without having to consciously focus all your effort on that is going to help you be able to do everything else you're doing better. Now, if someone wanted to shoot Bianchi, can you, can they just get on practice score and find a match for that or? So there's not as many matches as say USPSA. Um, there's some in Missouri, there's some in Louisiana, there's one or two in Michigan, um, and then out in Cheyenne. So there is a Facebook group, um, it might be like North American practical shoot, uh, action pistol. I'll find, I can find that and send it to you. The exact name of the Facebook okay, group. Yeah. There is a Facebook group for action pistol. I'll put that in the uh, show notes so that if anybody wants to look into that, they could. Yeah. You can find a match. So they're, they're not as frequent. There's not as many, but they are out there. Okay. Um, and, you know, a lot of people will say, well, the mover, like they couldn't practice the mover or they couldn't practice barricades. We pound a two by four into the ground, two two by fours, and we screw some plywood to it and we make a barricade. Is it perfect? No. Does it get you experience to figure out how you're going to transfer the gun or hand it or, you know, grab on, mount the gun, grip the barricade? Yes. So I think a, a lot of people, if you want to do something, you'll find ways to do it not excuses and again i mean i think it would just be a fun match to shoot to go out and see what you can do on a moving target you know and i'm yeah. sure you could ask other competitors like hey where are you holding at 25 yards so at least i have an idea yes so, so that is one of the things too that is invaluable so um CMP took over or is going to be involved in running the bianchi cup this year 
And they came last year to the event, and there there are some people giving them advice who've been involved with the match for years. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens and how things go. Um, but one of the things that a lot of us gave them feedback on was that they should not change the venue because there is the main range at Green Valley in Missouri, and then there is the practice range. And the practice range has enough to do all four events. They actually can set up two movers, and then there's a whole place where you could go and check your zero and everything. There's a zero range. Um, but the information, like sharing that sort of thing, like you have a question, there's all these really experienced people there, Doug, Rob Latham, like everybody's there and everybody's shooting and people will share, they'll help you, they'll, you know, like if you have some kind of an issue going on, people are willing to help. Um, and then like the AMU guys are there, the AMU, uh, armorers are there, uh, uh, cylinder and slide from... Nebraska, they used to come out. Um, so like there was a lot of support and it, it's a good match. So I'd like to see it grow back up again because NRA took it over for a few years and it really kind of tanked. <laughs> um, so now it's it's nice to see it kind of building back up. It'd be, it, so it'd be the same, moving it from where, because it's in Missouri, isn't it? The, it's in Missouri, yes. Yeah, so that would be the equivalent of moving the high Camp power Perry. national matches away from Perry. Right. After Where being there the infrastructure, for, yeah. The history, yeah, the everything's set up. Yeah, it's all there. Yeah, that's just quite the experience. So I guess it was here maybe in Fredericksburg you shot your first USPSA match? For me, that might be the first place. I know my husband shot some when we were in college, so like 98 or so, 97, 97. So is, is that where you two met, was in college? Mm-hmm, yep. Okay. Was he on the air rifle and pistol team as well? Yes. Yes. Ah, okay. So that's all right. That's how we met. Yep. Well, and that's where I, one of my questions was going to be, you know, how, how did you meet someone who was so into shooting <laughs> like you, but problem solved, question answered. You shot your first match here in Fredericksburg. So 20 teens, we'll, we'll call it sometime after 20. 2011, I think. Yeah. How did you get from that first match to where you are now with everything else that you've been shooting? Um, I, I like a lot of work. <laughs> uh, you know, just we competed a lot. We worked at what we're doing. And then, you know, kind of, I think the other side is like sharing what we're doing outside of just going to a match. You know, there's not many families. Um, I think we're, we're one of the only families that like everybody competes. There's a lot of, you know, parents and their kids or a mom and you know a dad and kids but there's or a kid uh, but there's not many where the entire family competes and i think that that's something that i wish more people would try you know we'll see a lot of people at matches who are like oh my gosh i gotta bring my wife to a match you know like they're it's their weekend to get away and have fun and there's a lot of guys who literally will say well i don't think men want women at matches i don't think they want their wife there they want to get away and have fun and that's fine Everybody's got a different reason why they do things. Um, right. But you shouldn't, you should, you should still welcome the people whose wives want to be there and whose kids want to yeah. be there. And you shouldn't treat them like, ah, you know, like, that's an irritation. I don't want that around. <laughs> because I was trying to get my wife into it, but it never stuck. Well, and I think sometimes, so this is why I'm, I'm, I'm talking about this, is that I think the experience those people have when they come to a range is very instrumental in whether they decide they want to do this or not. 
So, like I said, I started, my dad, my sisters, my mom, we all went to this class, and everyone was like, oh, yay, there's a bunch of, there's, there's like four girls here, and there were other women there, too, that people wanted us to be there. Um, the very first big three-gun match we shot, the FNH three-gun back in 2012, we were still living out in Virginia at the time, and our youngest, Andrew, was like eight, and he met Tabor Bright. And he's now with Ruger, but he worked with FN at the time. And Tabor was running a side match. And he kind of met us, and we chatted for a bit. And then he's like, hey, why don't you come up here and help me to our youngest? So they become friends. And, like, we still, like, when we get down to Texas, we stop and see Tabor. Um, and he was so welcoming. And we were, like, other people we knew locally were like, oh, yeah, he can go. Like, Tabor's a good dude. He'll, he'll keep an eye. Like, he can totally go hang out with him. And he helped him. And, you know, like whether it was taking names of people and telling them what's happening or whatever, but it was just like a, a stationary side match that he helped him run. Um, but I, I think his perception of what was going to happen at a match and whether he wants to be there was changed because of that. And if you're, if your wife or someone's wife or daughter or son, they come along and, and they're like, someone's rolling their eyes about this other person, extra kid, extra wife, extra, you know, whatever. If the, if the environment isn't welcoming, it's not going to be something they want to do. Right. So I think that that um, how it's introduced and how someone's exposed to it is it does matter. Well, and I, and she she enjoys going to the range and shooting, but I don't think she in, enjoys the competition side of it. So. And that's something you know. that that um, so our youngest again he would when I asked him when he was like ten eleven do you like it and he would say it's stressful. And I said, mm. well, yes, it is stressful, but don't you think that you're learning, that you're more capable because you've done something under stress? And whether that stress is other people watching you, feeling like you're getting judged, being on the yeah. clock. So there is a point where I think it's, it, it, it kind of comes down to your personality, but it is good to push yourself outside your comfort zone and to realize to realize that you can fail, people can laugh at you, people could say like, eh, so-and-so brought his wife again, and I won't make the gesture I would make <laughs> on your show. Like, <laughs> honestly, like, people need to learn like, nope, it's okay. Or or even the people who don't like firearms and who are like, oh, so-and-so and their guns, too bad. There's, there's things people do that I don't like. I'm not gonna, you know, try to shame them for right. shopping expensive purses or shoes because I, I like shoes too but <laughs> you know <laughs> i don't know like you're, you're free you live in a free country you're free to think what you want and do what you want amen now have you shot any idpa um i shot one match for the purpose of writing an article because we just really don't have that much around us and okay. um I, I do think there are, again, valuable skills to be had, like retaining a magazine, thinking about cover versus concealment and all those sorts of things. Like those, those are great skills and they are very practical. Do I want to go shoot it? Not really, because you hear stories. I mean, when you compete, you hear stories about events and about organizations and you hear like the kind of craziness that goes on. And I don't, I feel like that oh, can stay over there. <laughs> It seems to be growing in popularity with the higher level shooters, though. I mean, Nils, JJ, they're starting to migrate a little bit and shoot that a little more. 
So something I would say from my perspective is that sometimes there's people who shoot things because they have a sponsor they work with that wants them to shoot things. And I'm not saying anything about those two people you mentioned and their motivation for shooting it or not. I'm just saying sometimes you will see people are saying like, well, hey, our gun or this thing we're bringing to market or this piece of gear fits this and they want to sell it there. So they want to get attention there. So they're like, hey, we want you to go shoot this. Well, and, and I totally agree with you. I mean, IDPA Nationals was heavily sponsored by Beretta. So right. JJ shot the match. Right. Mills just went to Europe and shot the European IDPA Nationals because it was heavily sponsored by Canik. So yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm, I track you and I totally agree. And, and maybe they're being PC a little bit by, you know, talking about the match and how much fun they had. But there are some I, others, I the Williams sisters... Yeah, I'm not saying that you can't have fun or I don't think it could be fun. I'm just saying it's not a discipline that has ever, like, there's really nothing local to us. And right. so it's not something that's really been on our radar. Right. Like kind of like Bianchi Cup shoot. for me. Right, right. And we could go shoot trap, but I really, I don't know. <laughs> like running around with my gun as fast as I can, loading it and trying to spin a spinner and crazy stuff. Right. That's much more fun. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Before we get past Bianchi, five okay. national records in Bianchi pistol. So what are we talking about here? So there's four events. Um, yep. So I've set the record on the mover multiple times, like broken my own record. So okay. that's probably so. Like you have, you know what I mean. So now, when you say broken your own record, are we talking score time? What? So like I set a national record, and then I set a new one. So for the, it would be score because the mover, okay. oh, everything in Bianchi is part-time. So there's no- So you have motivation. to do it within a certain time and it's right. all score only. It's all score. There's no like go faster okay. and you get, you get more, more anything. It's just within the part-time. So it's like 300 yard rapid fire in high power rifle. You yeah. have 70 seconds from a standing to sitting position or exactly. standing to prone exactly. and, your, and score your score is your score. Right. So all you, so you have- Five score. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. So and it might you... be different now. Like we haven't, I haven't looked. So they, they have been historically NRA has kept track of those records and it's taken a while to get it done. And then I think with NRA's involvement in Bianchi cup and then non-involvement in Bianchi cup, I think there's been some like, eh, we don't care. And I know a bunch of records were getting updated. Um, so, cause I think Tim has some that he, he sat when he was a junior that he's never gotten this stuff for. So, all right. So now I want to Ipsic rifle and shotgun. And I see on your website that 2017 Ipsic rifle world shoot ladies open division gold medal team, 2015 and 2018 Ipsic shotgun world shoot ladies standard division gold medal teams. Well, Becky, um, I appreciate you coming on. Now, we're going to have to pick another time where you've got a little bit of time and we can finish the conversation because I have a bunch more questions about Ipsic World Shoots, um, your recent trip to Thailand and stuff like that, okay? Okay, that sounds like a plan. Awesome. Now, are, are you by chance going to be at SHOT Show? I am. Are you? I am. Well, we'll have so, to connect. Okay. My wife will be with me, so... 
We can talk to her about shooting. I can tell her she should come <laughs> to the range and enjoy it. Um, no, yeah. yeah, we'll be there. We'll be there. That'd be awesome to meet you in person. Okay, awesome. Well, Becky, thank you for coming on. Good luck with everything going on at the on the property. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show and chatting. It was really it was really a good conversation. And I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. All right, you take care, David. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.